0: This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. A little louder. How many people in this room listen to Torah Anytime? (laughs) All right. Baruch Hashem. So um, it is the 10th anniversary of myself and Torah Anytime. Um, I met them in Beit Gavriel. um, It's a shul in Queens. And I started speaking. And he said, you know what? Can I tape you? I'm like, yeah, you want to tape me? Tape me. I think that was the beginning of, of Torah anytime. At that time, there were, um, they were 80, 80 speakers. Today, there are 800. Wow. You can go on to Torah anytime. It's, not, it's unbelievable what they have done. Um, and that's really, you know, my share got much smaller because of Torah anytime. And, and on Wednesday nights, I used to have about 300, 400 girls. Now I have about 40, 50. Um, and you'd think that I'd be very upset because you, know, you don't want a lot of people in front of you. But, first of all, Toronto is live, so um, they actually watch it live. But um, according to their numbers, what do we have, Five, 6,000 people in that room? More, he's saying more. 10,000 people watch that share every week. So um, there's like 10,000 people in the room. So uh, I, I have to thank them for the sklus of uh, letting my Torah go through the world. And the one who started it is here. We brought it together. And they never dreamt um, that this would happen on the level that... They, I, I know that when I'm speaking, they send out an email. Everybody knows every shit that you're giving. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's this past week's parasha. And I think that's really what this Shabbaton is, is all about. You just have to put your hand out. That was Batya. She put her hand out. You, you don't understand. Our Nav was the same situation. Maybe I'll speak about it for a couple of minutes. Um... We just put our hand out. We never expected um, what, you know, the high school and the seminary and the ranch. And it was never, it was not even in the dreams. I wasn't even dreaming about it. I was just dreaming a little bit about, you know, about Ornava. Just to tell you a little bit for a moment, because it's an Ornava Shabbaton, And and we didn't make the Shabbaton for, last year we did it. And then before that, I think maybe four years, five years, we skipped. Uh, which I feel very bad because I was very close to someone Nechama Nancy and that was what she lived for She used to get up before my shurim and say a poem Always Um, We didn't have the money And we were very scared to Make a Shabbaton and lose so much money Um, I guess that was a lack of a Because we still don't have the money But we make the Shabbaton And somehow we get to the next year So the lesson for everyone really Leaving here um, Is that you just Gotta Try and even if you don't, you know, think that you have what it takes, like we spoke, if you're a mate, if you're part of, if you believe that, you, that Hashem is holding you and He's your partner, um, you can really do anything. And, and I speak about it and I believe in it. And um, Thursday, around two o'clock, it's snowing and it's blowing. And I'm in my driveway and it's up to my knees. And they're saying, everyone off the roads... And it's going to take three days to clean up. And I'm like, Hashem, I'm telling you right now, if you blow this, <laughs> if this is not going to happen, I'm not making any more shabatones. And it worked. <laughs> but but truthfully, there, there was a false WhatsApp that was going around. I don't have WhatsApp, Hashem. So I just heard about it, that the governor closed the roads and that you can't travel. There's a travel ban. I don't know, somebody sent this around, right, that was a travel ban, and everyone's calling me up, the travel ban in Connecticut, right? we can, it's going to close, and we're thinking force majeure, we're not going to pay the hotel, because there's, there's a line in the contract, that if there's something godly that happens, you can break the contract, and I'm thinking, I don't want to break the contract, and what are we going to do, and the caterer bought all the food, and and God's like, Wallstein, you're the speaker, what are, you, what are you worried about, you're going to speak about the mata, and you don't believe in the mata. And, and Baruch Hashem, he showed me that uh, storm, winds, 220 degrees. Who in this room knew that it was 20 below zero this Shabbos? Nobody. Who felt that it was 20 below zero? Right? It was so hot in here, the fire alarm went off. So, so Kurdish Baruch Hu, sometimes you hear it and you hear it and you hear it, but you don't absorb it, you know? It's very nice. But I was doubting the whole time there should be no snowstorm. it been a great story. It's going to be a snowstorm. Then they're going to say it blew into the water. And I would say, oh, look at that. I'm so powerful. Like Moshe Rabbeinu, it blew into the water. It didn't blow into the water, and it's still snowing. And Hashem's like, not only am I not going to mess up your Shabbaton, but I'm going to make sure that no one else is on the road so they're going to be able to get here faster than you ever got here before. Everyone's telling me there was no traffic. You go on a regular Friday on the 95 and you sit there for hours. So you just, you just, you just have to believe and, and you have to take it in yourself. And um, the, the highest rate of suicide by the non-Jewish world is a, no, after the ball drops New Year's Eve. On New Year's Eve, most of the, the most people that jump off buildings is on New Year's Eve. Why? Because when it gets to the New Year's Eve, they're there. The ball drops, and then what? They they're, they were there before, and now they're there after, and it's empty. So they're like the ball dropped, and my life didn't change. So I'm out of here. So I think maybe the biggest down. That a person can have is after the shabbaton, because you're going to go home, and nothing changed. The rabbis got up and they gave speeches, right? And but what, you're going to walk out the door at twelve o'clock. You're back in your world. This was a very nice getaway, right? But it could really be even worse than when you before you got here on Friday, because you thought that this would be would change your whole life. If it doesn't. It's a downer, so it has to. So, when you go home, when you walk out of here, you cannot be the same person that walked in here on Friday because that would be very depressing. When people escape, we, we were talking. I was talking with Charlie and to the um, to the Lakewood girls and the BCA girls. Um, so, there's many ways of escaping: drugs, uh, reading a good book. Um, watching a movie, uh, going to Disneyland, right? The Great Escape. But really, it's not an escape. How do you know it's not an escape? Because you watch this movie, because you want to you go into your fantasy world, right? That you're a princess, and the prince is coming to save you, and the story ends up amazing, and you're reading this book, and you're not dealing with your stuff. You're escaping. But you're not escaping. Because when you finish the book and you finish the movie and you finish the guys' music or whatever, and I'm not talking to anyone here. This, everyone that cut, that stays for this year, they don't need my share. But um, right, you, whatever your escape is and you finish, the hockey game's over, the baseball game's over. Also the same thing. A lot of the, the athletes from the Super Bowls end up dying because they hit the Super Bowl, they won the Super Bowl, and then you find out later on they're on the street, they're dying, they're drugged up. Why? Because they, there's nowhere for them to go. They reach their top so, how do I know it's not an escape? How do you know that drugs are not an escape? I did drugs, I, I got drugged, I was smoking. How do you know all these things are not an escape? Because when you finish doing them, you're in the same place. Right? When the drugs were off, the drinking was off, the movie's over, the book is finished. You didn't go anywhere. You're in the same place. Escape means that you left, right? What does it mean? You gotta leave where you're at to get where you're going. So if after whatever you use supposedly to escape, when you're finished, you're back, you know, you sat in your bed, you read your book, and now, did all your problems go away? Nothing went away. Did all your, did all your pain go away? Nothing went away. So that means you're back to where you started. It means you never escaped. If you escaped, it means you left the place that you are. So it's not a true escape. So, what's a true escape? So when, when someone learns Torah... When boys, when people are learning Torah and they're doing mitzvahs, they're no longer in the same place that they were before they were learning Torah, before they were davening, before they were doing that mitzvah. They're not in the same place anymore. So, it's not really, it's, it's, it's a lechlecha. It's a, a leaving where you're at to get where you're going. So if you go back home, and you are in the same place that you were on Friday before you came here, you didn't move. Yes, we entertained you and there was great music last night, and Charlie Riley and all the good speeches, and, and, and asked the rabbi. That was that was a pretty rough ask the rabbi Friday night. I mean, I'm doing this for a while. We never had that situation, and we're very happy. It was a, you know, except for the I don't know if she's here. We were scared that one woman was running at Charlie. Oh, there you are, right? And uh, we didn't we didn't know we didn't know we we didn't we. Next year next year we're going to have security, but you know Charlie's like wow. That was very cool. I gotta to come to another Shabbaton. I said, Charlie, you're invited. No problem. So so that's that's the most important thing. The most important thing, everyone, is that you're not the same person. You're not doing the same things, but that something on this Shabbaton, something that someone said, someone keeping Shabbat who hasn't kept Shabbat for a while, something on the Shabbaton changed you. What does that mean, that it changed you? It means that you took on yourself something this Shabbos that you're going to change in your life. And that means that you've moved. But if you go back and do the same things, then this was just an entertaining Shabbaton. But it didn't, it didn't do anything. And I think it's always my ending story. Today I have actually two, but Um, I think this is like the best example, and some of you know it, but it's the best example that I could give you. And it actually was given to me by one of my students who went to law school. He set over a story about a very, very rich, famous politician that was accused of murdering a 17-year-old girl. And he needed a lawyer. And there was a lawyer... This was actually taught in law school called Coach Your Client. There was a lawyer called the $5 million lawyer. And he was very famous because he never, ever lost a case in his life. So this was a very rich politician, so he hired this lawyer to defend him. The prosecuting lawyer, who worked for the DA, so they work on a lottery. Every lawyer gets a case. It doesn't matter how good you are. And it happened to be that the lottery for the DA hit this young lawyer who just came out of law school. He was wet behind the ears. He never really tried a case. And now he is fighting the $5 million lawyer. And they come to the court, and the newspapers are all writing that this DA, the prosecutor, is going to get smeared by this guy by the $5 million lawyer. And it was a very big, famous case. And the prosecutor gets up, and he starts to prosecute, and he calls up a a witness, and he asks the witness, so when you heard the cries of the girl in the room, what time was it? And the witness says, it was 11 o'clock. You sure? I'm sure. Okay, let it be known to the jury that there were screams and yelling coming out of a room at 11 o'clock. He sits down. The defense gets up. The $5 million lawyer. He says, lady, witness, what kind of watch were you wearing? She says, a Timex. How much does the Timex cost? $13. He says, a cheap watch. Would you agree that it might have been 1101? She goes, it might have been 1101. He says, I rest my case prosecuting guy gets up and says what you're, you're cross-examining a watch like what does that have to do with anything and this goes on ladies and gentlemen for a week the prosecutor is getting up and he's got all his stuff and the defense lawyer 5 million dollars he's making jokes and the new york times is writing that it seems to be that this 5 million dollar lawyer who was very famous had a nervous breakdown He's not in the case. He's asking, was the sun in the middle of the sky? Like, silly questions. And the judge himself is like, this guy has been in my court. He's a brilliant, brilliant lawyer. What's going on here? Anyway, the prosecuting lawyer, who's just out of school, is beginning to feel really good about himself. In fact, of course, the defense lawyer who's in $5 million is wearing a bow tie and a beautiful suit. The prosecuting lawyer is like, hey, if he can wear a bow tie, I can wear a bow tie because I'm killing him in this case. So the last day he comes in with a bow tie and he's feeling really good about himself. And he's thinking, if I win this case, I beat the five million dollar lawyer. I'm going to become famous. So they ask him. They ask him for summation. Summation means the end of the case. You, you say what you know what you feel. And he gets up. And now this lawyer, this defense lawyer, I mean, the prosecuting lawyer, he's all full of himself. And he turns to the jury and he says, I want you, the men and ladies of the jury, to find that man guilty of manslaughter, first degree. He murdered 17-year-old girl. She'll never get married. She'll never go to the prom. She'll never graduate college. He took her life. You have to find him guilty. We have to send this man to jail for life. And the whole jury's sitting there like, oh, we're going to cook this. We're going to put this guy away. Nothing to talk about. And the judge says to the defense lawyer, the five million dollar guy, and never the poor politician who hired him, is thinking to himself, I hired him a sugar I spent five I I I spent a million dollars up front and this guy is killing me. And the lawyer gets up, very famous lawyer, and he says, You know, I, I I heard in New York Times they wrote about me that I had a nervous breakdown. I didn't have a nervous breakdown, and you must all be wondering why for the last week. I've been just making a galecha like I'm not really doing anything in my client's defense. He said, I'll tell you why. You see, we never found the body of the girl. It's all circumstantial evidence. Screaming, yelling, she's missing, there was blood in the womb, all this other. We never found the body. You know why There's we never found the body of this girl? You see, she called me a week ago from Mexico. Nobody killed her. She had a big fight with her parents, and she ran away. And this whole case is ridiculous. And I told her, there's a man being prosecuted for your death. You need to get back here and save his life. And she said, okay, when's the case over? And I told her Friday. She said, I'm having a good time in Mexico. I'm in Cancun on the beach. I'm not rushing back. I'll be back on Friday. So then I got a message from her this morning that at one o'clock, she will be here in this courtroom. And therefore, I felt that I don't need to waste the time of the court and my time defending someone when there is no victim. So I'm turning to the judge, and I'm asking you, sir, the judge, to please recess this case until she's back at one o'clock. And the whole place is buzzing. And never the guy with the bow tie, is like, oh my God, I made such an idiot out of myself. I prosecuted a case where there is no victim. I'm finished. They're going to fire me. says, okay, the judge says, everybody come back at 1 o'clock. Everybody comes into the room at 1 o'clock, the judge, the jury, everybody's sitting there, and it's 1.15, nothing. And it's 1.30, nothing. And all of a sudden, the back door opens up at 1.30, and this woman walks in. Everybody jumps. Must be her. It's not. It's the clerk who writes the stenograph, who writes the whole case. 1 30, they change shifts. So everybody sits back down. Quarter to two, nothing. Two o'clock, the judge says, Listen to me, I don't know what game you're playing. If she comes, she comes. But you have to close this case. So you have to get up and give your closing argument. And Nebuchadnezzar, the poor politician, he's sitting there He's like, what is this guy doing to me? And he gets up, this brilliant, brilliant lawyer. And he says to the jury, do you know the law in America that to find someone guilty, you must feel they're guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, that they're 100% guilty? There can't be any doubt at all. And the jury says, Yes. We have been instructed. Is it true, jury, that from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock, you were all looking at the door thinking that the victim would walk in? Yeah. And at 1.30, when the clerk walked in, did you not all jump out of your seat thinking that the victim walked in? Yeah. Therefore, The prosecution, that lawyer with the little red bow tie, didn't prove to you that she was dead and that my client is a murderer beyond a reasonable doubt. You had a doubt. That's why you were looking at the door. Had you had no doubt, why were you looking at the door? You knew she couldn't walk in. He fooled them all. And he turns to the judge. And he says, mistrial. They were all looking at the door, judge. They were not 100% sure that she was dead. And the judge thinking to himself, this is one very smart lawyer. He just got his client off the, off. that's it. But the law is the law and he tells the jury, go into your jury room and come back with a verdict. And the New York Times, and everybody's writing, oh my gosh, he got them to look at the door. And because they looked at the door, that means that they believe that she can walk through. If they believe that she can walk through, it's not beyond a reasonable doubt. If it's not beyond a reasonable doubt, they're going to have to find him innocent. And the jury goes into the room, and the, the politician's sitting there, and he's smiling, like he was worried. And Nebuchadnezzar, the poor DA prosecutor, he was crawling under his chair. <laughs> Ten minutes later, the jury comes out, they sit down, everybody's waiting for the innocent verdict and the jury person gets up she gets up and she says we find the politician, we find this person, the accused guilty of manslaughter and the judge, like to the jury lady, you, you can't you, you can't, it wasn't beyond a reasonable doubt, I mean I can't argue with you, you're a jury but I think you need to go back into the room she goes, no, no There's a young lady, 21-year-old single girl that's sitting here that it took her five minutes to convince us that he's the murderer. Could she talk? He says, sure. So this girl gets up and she says, I'm part of the jury and I want to tell you what I told my other members on the jury. You see, everybody was looking at the door. I was looking at the accused. He never turned around to look at the door and when the door opened he still didn't turn around to look at the door do you know why because he knew she wasn't coming through that door how would he know that she's not coming through the door only if he murdered her guilty manslaughter so the professor in my students law class said if you come up with something that brilliant Tell the client what you're going to do. For had the accused turned around for one second to look out the door, he would have walked out free. And now he's going to prison for 100 years. Tell your client what you're going to do. And when my student told me this, I learned a very big lesson. You girls, you guys, you came to the Shabbaton. You had the greatest, except for me, the greatest lawyers speaking. Charlie, all the all the rabbis, all the breakouts, unbelievable lawyers saying all kinds of things. you're Bitocha, there all kinds of things. But if you don't change your life, if you don't turn to look at the door, means really you don't believe anything that you heard. If it didn't change you, if you're just sitting there like that guy and you're not turning around and you're not making a change, you are guilty of manslaughter. You are guilty of killing your own neshama. You had a chance to change everything. All Hashem wants is you should just make a little turn. Because if you make a little turn, that means that you believe what you heard. But if you leave here the same way you came, it means you didn't believe one word that you heard. So everyone in this room, including Rabbi Wallerstein, has to make some type of change. When they get out of their car and walk into their house and walk into their room, they need to sit on their bed or sit on the kitchen chair, and say, I just came from a Shabbat tone, 28 hours, 48 hours, however long I was here, what am I going to do with what I heard? A little teeny change, a drop, Shabbos two minutes earlier, skirt a little bit different, a little bit less and Hara, a little bit better of aim Haima, I don't call you enough. Just something from that Shabbat tone. Then Hashem will see, you really believe what you heard, and He understand that it's very hard, but if you really believe what you heard, then you're not guilty, then you're innocent. It means you really want to grow and you really came here to grow. And then you're innocent. And that's what we need to do. Everybody has to make a teeny, I'm going to also, a teeny little change means you believe everything that everybody told you. So I want to leave you off with a bracha. It's another story that I talk about a lot and it's so important for so many people in this room. We'll end with this and we'll send you home with this. So there was a, there was a king who had the most, all, in the Medrash, all the kings in the Medrash have beautiful daughters. It's always she's the most beautiful daughter. So there was a king who had the most beautiful daughter. And he wanted a shidduch for her. And there were so many guys in the kingdom that wanted to marry her. First of all, she was beautiful. Second of all, if you marry her, you become a prince. Automatically. By the way, that's what every guy I tell him I share. I said, if your wife is a queen, that makes you a king. And every woman should feel, if my husband is a king, that makes me a queen. If I think lowly of my husband, I'm thinking lowly of myself. If I think my husband is a servant, it means I'm the wife of a servant. If I think my wife is a servant, it means I'm a husband of a servant. What you think about the other person is what makes you who you are. Not what you think about yourself. What you think of the other person in that relationship, that's what makes you who you are. You think highly, that makes you special high. If you think lowly, that makes you special low. So the king didn't know what to do. Every guy wanted to marry his daughter. So he decided he's going to build a, ca- uh, a tower thousand huge steps and he's gonna put her right what's that story where she let her hair down Rapunzel. right right Rapunzel well she didn't have long hair she was very firm she went to Besyakov and they cut it to two inches anyway anyway so they, they put her on the top of the top of the castle and he said the following at sunset tonight any guy that wants to quit the princess you have to run up those steps and you have to be up there on top by the time the sun rises. And any guy that gets, the first guy that gets up there gets the princess. Oh, my gosh. 2,000 guys show up. They're all ready to run up this huge tower. And the sun sets, and they begin to run. The steps are huge. And they begin to run, and the guys who are out of shape, they get to like the 100th step, but they're guys. We never could say that we can't do something. So they had a problem. They, could, they knew they couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't breathe. They were totally out of shape. So they started a rumor. But they're not going to say, I can't do it. And they started a rumor. By the way, everyone, there's no princess at the top of the tower. The king is making a whole big joke. And he's going to be in the morning when the sun rises with all his friends on the bottom, pointing to all the stupid guys that are stuck on all the steps because there's no way you're getting up there by sunrise. And the rumor began to go around. And all the guys that couldn't breathe, right, what do you mean? Why are you going down? What, are you not going to say I can't breathe? Oh, there's a, there's a story going on that... There's no princess. That is just a joke. They want to make a joke out of us. So all the guys who could have run started running down. And the rumor started going. You know how a rumor goes. And it's going and going. And all of a sudden, everybody's going down. Everybody's going down. Except these two guys who were unbelievably in shape. Marathon runners. And they're on the 700th step. And there's an hour left to sunrise, ladies. And they're on on the 700th step. And there's no way in one hour They're doing 300 steps. So they're beginning to think it was impossible because they were running full steam. The king gave us something that we couldn't do. So one of them says to the other, listen, we have an hour left. You want everyone in the morning, all the guys, all 2,000 guys, plus the king, plus his friends, they're going to be sitting there. It's going to be these two guys, right, stuck on the 750 step and everyone's going to be laughing. Look at those two fools. Let's run down really fast. It'll take us an hour to get down. And, We're going to laugh at the king because when the sun comes up, there's going to be no one on the steps. His friend looks at him. He says, you're right. We're not going to make it. But you see, I know the king. I worked for him for five years. He has no sense of humor. There is no way that he's sitting on the bottom of the steps laughing. I haven't seen the man laugh ever. That's number one. Number two, one thing about the king, his word is word. And if he says that someone can get to the top, someone can get to the top. This is not a joker. This friend says, listen, I don't know the king, and I don't know what you know about the king. I am not going to be stuck up here. And he starts to run as fast as he can down the steps. And there's one guy left. Talk about Batya's hand, bitch's hand, right? Putting out a hand. There's one guy left on the 700 step. Alone. And everyone's going running down. And he's like, "I know the king. I don't understand. There's no way. It's now about 45 minutes left. There's no way I can get to the top. Maybe the guy that gets the highest will get the princess. Maybe he just told me that. So, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to keep running for 45 minutes. We'll see what happens. And he takes a step onto the 701st step. And there's some type of contraption underneath that step. And it, all of a sudden, the step opens up. The 701st step opens up and he's looking and up comes an elevator. He's like, what? So he turns around because his friend's running as fast as he can. And he screams down. Chaim! Elevator! And he's running down as fast as he can, and he hears "Er." He's like, oh my God, what happened to my friend? I don't got time. I got to get out off these steps before the sun comes up. And Chaim gets into the elevator, Has there's a bottle of champagne, and a rose, and two candles, and a button. Tea for Princess. Or penthouse, top floor. I don't know. He pushes the button. The door's closed. The elevator goes underneath the steps. There's a track and this thing like a train is zipping up underneath the steps. Nobody could see it. It's zipping up underneath the steps. Comes to the top very fast and he gets out of the elevator and standing there, he, the door opens up. It's exactly at sunrise and exactly ladies and gentlemen as he steps out of the elevator. His friend steps off the last step onto ground. He's no longer on the stairway. Same moment. He steps off an elevator. He steps off the steps. And he comes inside and sitting on this beautiful throne, the most beautiful girl he ever saw in his life. And she gets up and she says, Thank God you took that next step. You see, I was watching the two of you. And I knew. That if you don't take that next step and you turn around, my father told me that if no one makes it, no one will ever have me. I will be stuck here for the rest of my life. And I was screaming. I knew you couldn't hear. Take one more step. Don't turn around like your friend because I'm going to be stuck up here for the rest of my life. And when you took that step, because I knew the elevator was on the 7th and 1st day, I was so happy. Thank you so much. I am so proud to be your wife. And by the way, I'm not up here alone. There's someone else here with me. He's like, that wasn't the deal. (laughs) She says, no, my father didn't want to tell anyone. But I have a twin sister that looks exactly like me. And this beautiful girl walks in and says, how are you? I'm her sister. And he runs out. His friend just got off the steps. And he screams, Cheyenne, twin sister! And all he hears is, "Er." It's the story of Klai The Torah is the princess. Hashem said, Who wants my Torah? Whoever wants my Torah can have it and the Goyim and, the, and we we all started to go, we want the Torah and Esau got to a certain step and he said, no I can't take the Torah it says you're not allowed to kill and Yishmael got to the next step and he said, oh I can't do this because you're not allowed to commit adultery and there was a nation that was on the 700th step and they said there's a lot of stuff in that Torah and we don't know what's in that Torah and maybe we can't even do what's in that Torah But we know the king. The king is not a comedian. The king is not a joker. The king doesn't want us to suffer. The king doesn't want us to be in pain. So many people in Christ will think that God is going to burn them in Gehenna, punish them with cancer. That's Christianity. It's not Judaism. The king is not mean. The king doesn't want to hurt his children. The king is not a joker. He's not playing with us. The king's word is a word. And the difference between the girl and the man that takes the next step is do you know the king? Because if you don't know the king, you don't want to go any further. You don't want to live anymore. You don't want to try anymore. Two guys on the same step at the same moment. One gets the princess. One gets nothing. Because one knew the king, And one did not know the king. And this Shabbos, this Shabbaton, was to take 850 Jewish people and teach them about the king. As Charlie said, to teach them about the king. And what you need to take away from the Shabbos is the king is not a joker. He doesn't play games. He's MS. And you are his children. And all he wants is just take another step. Just when you think there's 8 to 12 inches of snow and it's not going to happen. And everyone's calling. Are you canceling? And we're saying no. We're not canceling. Just the opposite. People are calling and saying, I'm well, at there must be people canceling. You said you're sold out, but now that they're canceling, can we get a room? <laughs> and we're like, we're really sorry nobody canceled. <laughs> what do you mean nobody canceled? What are you talking about? There's a bus from Montreal. How could they come through all this? And Toronto and this person, I'm like, nobody canceled. The Shabbos was about getting all of you to know the king. And to know that sometimes it doesn't make sense. I have 40 minutes to do 300 steps. It's not going to work. What Chaim knew was, I don't know God's plan. But I'm just going to take the next step. And many times in your life, it's on the next step. There's an elevator. It's going to take you to a total different place. Imagine after 120 years, Hashem shows you. You would have just, it was waiting for you. Was there? You need to take one more step, the seven hundred first step. You end up hearing your whole life, er. Uh, because you turned around one step early. You can never turn around and go down the steps. You gotta go up the steps. The reason there's a ladder in Jacob Avinu's dream, and not steps, and not a not a road, and not a ramp, is because a ladder is the only thing. That whether you're going up the ladder or you're going down the ladder, you're always looking up. When you go down steps, you look down. When you go down a road, you look down. When you go down a ramp, you look down. When you go down a ladder, you're looking up. Because if you turn around, you're going to fall off the ladder. And Yaakov Avina was going to lose Rachel Yemenu, lose Yosef. Dina was going to be abused by Shechem. He was going into Gehanum. He was going into Gehenna with Atheb biting his neck to kill him. He told, Paros said, why do you look so old, man? And Yaakov said, why I look so old? Because I went through so much trauma. And Hashem knew that was going to happen. He said, Yaakov, it's a ladder. You go up and you go down. But you need to know something. Even when you're going down, you're looking up. And that's what the Shabbos says. You should never know anything about going down. And I want to end with a scary line from a scary sefer called the Oitz Uplais And he says the following about Mashiach. He says that there was Choshech, there was darkness in Mitzrayim when all the Risham, we actually lost four-fifths of Judaism in Mitzrayim. Only one-fifth made it out. And he says, Sheha be straw HaDar in Mitzrayim, they were That they didn't want to leave Mitzrayim. They were happy where they were. they died. In the three days of darkness. Hashem didn't want the Mitzrayim to see Jews dying. And this is what he says in the Zoyar. If you want to look it up, it's in Pasha Shemot, Dav Zayin. When Mashiach comes, Yeh Chayyesh, it will be a darkness in the world. Such a darkness that people will not be able to get out of their chairs. Chamisha asayom for 15 days. The Yamusu and the Risham of Chay Yisroel, sheeinim writesim begeula, who don't want Mashiach, will pass away. But Hashem doesn't want the Gaim to see this all those who are not waiting for Mashiach, even though they are living in the times of Mashiach, they will not have the schus to see Mashiach. But, those that were waiting for Mashiach, and this is for the people who lost a, young, a, a loved one this year, or years ago. says the of place, i tell from tell Avshikva from the Arizal. Even though these people who were waiting for Mashiach in their life in the Holocaust. and all the different times and in our time. They always were waiting for Mashiach and talking about Mashiach. Even though they're not alive anymore. They will get up. For before anyone else, today, Leroyst, Yeshua HaShem, They will actually become alive so that they're in this world when Mashiach comes. May we all be zaycha to be alive when Mashiach comes. Because we always knew the King. And this Shabbaton got us closer to the King. And we're always stepping up and stepping up. May anyone who needs a Shidduch or children or Rafua or Yeshua or Panasa, may the next step you take in spirituality and in Ruchnias get you to your elevator and get you to the prince and the princess of your life. Thank you so much for coming to the Shabbaton.